Welcome to The Catalyst, where we explore creative ideas to spark innovation in an unhealthy healthcare system. I'm your host, Dr. Lara Salyer, a physician and mom of three who is reimagining the way I practice medicine after suffering and overcoming burnout. Join me as I teach you how to optimize flow and catalyze your own revolution in healing. Tune in for candid conversations with leading experts in conventional and holistic healthcare who dare to believe a better future is possible for all of us. Life is made of teeny catalytic moments of immense impact. When strung together, the transformation is magical. Join us and let's color outside the lines. Welcome to this episode of the Catalyst Podcast, where you will meet Sharon Woodworth. She's a registered architect with over 11 million square feet of healthcare facility planning and design. As a former clinician, she is known for driving change in operations through architectural processes, made possible by her experience spanning a wide range of operational and continuum of care issues, from neonatology to senior living, and diverse cultural perspectives from completing work around the world. Sharon is known for driving change in operations through architectural design. In addition to practicing architecture full-time, she is an assistant professor at UCSF, teaching leadership in healthcare environments to future healthcare CEOs. In 2017, the AIA elevated Sharon to the College of Fellows for outstanding influence in the field of design. Sharon is currently a healthcare sector leader in the San Francisco office of HED, one of the oldest and largest integrated architecture and engineering firms in the USA. This is a fun episode because it's not often you get to talk to somebody who is at the forefront of healthcare design. Spaces are powerful. You're going to hear Sharon talk about how healthcare spaces should be more like the Apple Genius Bar and how we can learn lessons from the pandemic in how we build and run our spaces. Not just about lean operations, but also she's going to share ways that you can actionably and strategically level up your space. Even if you're an employed physician or nurse practitioner, she's going to give you ways that you can put more of you in your space so that you have more well-being. You're also going to learn about how she likes to view the future of healthcare design and how it can impact you today. So you are in for a treat. Our conversation is so unique and interesting. It's not often that you're able to get in front of a leader in healthcare design. Spaces are powerful and you're going to hear why Sharon thinks that our healthcare spaces should be operating more like the Apple Genius Bar. You're also going to hear her tips on how you can redesign your space to fit your self-expressive creativity. And finally, she's going to talk about the lessons that we learned from the pandemic and how it has changed the way that we build and maintain healthcare spaces. So listen in to this impactful conversation with Sharon Woodworth. I'm so excited to have Sharon Woodworth here on the Catalyst podcast because it is like looking back at my childhood self when all I did was draw little houses and I played in houses. My parents thought I was going to grow up to be an architect. It's a fun little fact. I love feng shui. I love the idea of spaces that can reflect your values and become a self-expressive vote of the future you would like to inhabit. So who better than to have here on the Catalyst podcast, like Sharon Woodworth, where she designs healthcare spaces. And you know what? I'm just going to launch right into it because I think we could talk for three hours, so we're going to try and condense it into one. So thank you, Sharon, for coming on this podcast today. 
Oh, I'm honored and I'm so excited to meet someone so creative. Wonderful. Well, likewise, you've had a million different lives, you know, a career in healthcare, you know, with architecture, with design, with sculpting. So tell me a little bit about, you know, your journey. What was what was that catalyst moment for you? You know, you were describing your childhood, Lisa, and you were describing um playing. Hey, wait, by the way, I have to tell you. My parents almost named me Lisa. My name is Lara, but you almost got it right because that oh. was their first choice name. <laughs> oh, okay. Your parents, I guess they were right. Okay. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so go ahead. What was that catalyst? Yeah, moment? but thank you for that. No, you were describing your childhood, uh, Lara, playing with spaces and, you know, a future architect on the way up. And for me, I didn't know it at the time, but architecture space was very important because I literally grew up in my father's mother's house and that house was built, everything in it was built by my grandfather. So the last name Woodworth, that's a British heritage and you were named after your guild or your skill or your profession and the Woodworths were all woodmakers. So that house, I mean, he made the doorknobs out of metal. He made every wall, every wow. piece of tile, the floor. And that just always resonated with me, even as a child. The little tiny staircase and the mystery of going up and down stairs. So it was a lot of fun. Oh, my gosh. That is, it's, I can hear your imagination already, you know, just being intrigued by stories that can be told about spaces. So, you know, healthcare is undergoing a transformation. You know, I'm sure you would say the same. You're, you have a front seat in all of this. And in our backyard at our local hospital, it's been bought out. They've had transitions. They've had remodeling and all sorts of things. So, you know, there's a dark and a light side of it. What would you say is the good part of looking at architecture in a healthcare space? Why is that something that we should be concerned about? Well, Laura, tell me what you mean by looking at architecture. What do you mean by that? Ooh, Are you a... talking about the topic or am I taking you literally? Oh, that's a great question. I'm talking more about the topic of overall design. Why would we need to think so strongly about design in healthcare? I'm being devil's advocate in case you, you can't tell where somebody might be listening going, why does it matter? You know, why yeah, do we it, care? Well said, well said, Laura. So one word, and that one word starts with a C, COVID. I mean, if you were not as a general public, not aware of the impact of the environment on health, COVID taught you, yes, it's important to have space around you, to have fresh air, to be aware of what's going on around you. And, and it also, the reason I was asking you to further qualify what you meant by the phrase, look at, that's what I uh, advise those either in the clinical world or the architectural world. You've got to go look at the problem. You have to see it. It's just like a physician with a patient. Zoom is one level, but actually being there to see it, to hear it, to smell it, it's a whole different world. I love that. That's so important. You're right. And we see this and hear this from a lot of our physician colleagues that are feeling burned out that the higher administrators or the, the not to say the architects building the new spaces, they haven't come in and seen how we work. And how would you say would be your future 
fantasy for an ideal healthcare space. And let's maybe just pick one setting, like an outpatient setting for family practice or an internal medicine doctor. When you say you need more space that feels like you can breathe and have more fresh air, talk to me through like your fantasy ideal space for an outpatient clinic. So Laura, I think almost anyone would say in an outpatient setting from an architectural supportive healing standpoint, most people would say no waiting. Duh, no waiting. Who wants to waste their time? Um, but personally for myself, what I would want in an outpatient setting is I want that Apple Genius Bar. I, I um, would hope that all of society elevates their personal knowledge of their own health care and that each individual patient is an expert in what they're experiencing, whether they have the correct terminology or not. But when I enter that setting, I want that counselor, that advisor, that nurse practitioner, that physician, I want them to come toward me whether I'm in a waiting room or wherever I am. And it's that genius bar, you know, it's that concept of come to me. Don't make me come to you. I don't know. Maybe it's very selfish, but. No, I love that, that analogy of the genius bar. Cause I can imagine that. And they have such a slick operation, which we can learn a lot from other industries, right? Healthcare lags in as far as the use of technology and AI, whereas we've been self-checking our bags and our airline flights for years, right? right. And, and healthcare is so lagging behind. You know, in other industries, there's kiosks where you go and you check in, you know, think of going to a restaurant, you know, and the people come and find you and get you seated. And so I like your idea of taking notes from other industries. But then there comes that other spectrum of, you know, the pendulum going the other way, where sometimes that can be, you know, I guess, bloated and inefficient. If you think of all these doctors coming to retrieve patients in the waiting room, right? Um, and so in our hospital, they've devised a new system where people check in at a central desk, they get, you know, a paper and they they room themselves and they find their way up and um, they're waiting in that room for the physician, which is ideally great unless you have brain fog or dementia or you're, you know, yeah. unfortunately it can be very ableist to assume that somebody can make it to the room in time for that physician. So what are some other innovative things that you're seeing as far as healthcare connecting people to people? Oh my, what am I seeing? Um, a lot of our clients are trying to do uh, the self-rooming concept. Um, I haven't seen it 100% successful. And then that definition is not my definition. 100% successful to a healthcare provider for the self-rooming would be, there is no FTE that greets you, guides you, answers your question. It truly is just the door, the kiosk, the room. Um, Stanford may be the furthest along in this concept. Um, and they did try and get away of not having that um, human greeter. The kiosk themselves are successful, but they still have an individual who um, is a face that the patient can approach if they so choose. Now, they did take it one step further, which I think was also very successful. They 
that individual is not a receptionist. They're not going to be asking you your insurance information or asking you for money or who are you here to see. They are more like the hotel concierge. Where would you like to go for lunch? That kind of thing. Uh, so that's the most creative thing. Um, clients are trying very hard. It may not sound creative or innovative to adhere to standards. And while standards may not be appealing or a patient may not understand the value of standards, I think we in the healthcare world do realize if we can standardize everything, then your care is going to be focusing on what's non-standard about you and what is unique to you, that precision medicine, so to speak. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. That's a very important point. And there's so much white paper research on the, the benefit of standardizing operating rooms, exam rooms, because, you know, it, it it's not just it's going to take the physician less time to find the scalpel. That's not it. But it really does make our brain relax. It's that that limiting of the cognitive drain when you go into a room and you know where everything is and you sit down and, and things are standardized. But sometimes I think some clinics take it too far. I know um, personally that, you know, there's no artwork. There's a limit to what can be done in that exam room. And it's become so standardized that it feels so sterile. So what would be your ideas to, to um, improve that feeling? Oh, the sterile institutional nature of healthcare. <laughs> You're not going to believe this answer. Get rid of those eight foot corridors. I mean, we live in a world outpatient or inpatient. In the inpatient or hospital setting, it's an eight foot canyon and it's not very tall. So it really feels like a tunnel. Same thing at a different scale in an outpatient setting. So, I mean, if we could even just give a little breathing room, you can program activities along those corridors. It might be a bench that you pull out, you know, along the way, or it might be even a window opening. You don't even have to change the dimensions. Um, because like it or not, um, healthcare architecture will always be a puzzle with, where the parts are put together. And the part, if you look at it from an institutional standpoint and you want to um, bring life and warmth to it, it's the, it's the typical things of natural light or art. But putting the whole pieces together comes, honestly, it comes down to the corridors. It's that pathway, it's that journey. Um, if we all lived in a California environment with wonderful outdoor weather, we could have a hospital that's laid out like the Getty Museum in Los Angeles, or what you're really experiencing is an outdoor plaza and you go from one space to another. That would be the ideal. Oh my goodness, that would be ideal. If you can make <laughs> California weather happen in Wisconsin, I will be your favorite fan for sure. Um, and I think I've seen, and actually I've toured many clinics and hospital systems that try the plaza, you know, uh, attempt. It's very in vogue where you have little retail areas, you have some artwork in the main areas where people can see. But then when we get up into the real nitty gritty working part of any hospital system, which let's be honest, the physicians, the nurse practitioners, the true practitioners that are making the billing of Medicare, Medicaid, of insurance, they're the ones that are working in to yeah. support this hospital. And they're being told like, no, you only get two exam rooms, right? That's a common thing. It's very lean. You only get two 
And yet these physicians are, are paid based on how productive they are. And so if they're limited and capped on how many office rooms they get, you know, it, it ends up being very, um, you know, contradictory. And so what would you say if you could redesign an outpatient system with with all the fun amenities, like having a kiosk check-in and, and assuming that people can make it to their room? And how would you design it differently to promote a physician wellness that helps them not feel so burned out? Well, um, you said two things, and I want to respond to the first one. Um, and the first one was the lean pressure that clinicians have on them in terms of um, their time and the ratio of space related to that time, you know, limited to two exam rooms and 10 minutes per patient, that sort of thing. So that aspect in an outpatient setting, the best thing that a healthcare architect can do is flexibility. And that means that any room could be an exam room. You know, just give that room if you, in an outpatient setting, it's much easier to do than inpatient, but in an outpatient setting for flexibility, all you need in any room is a door and a sink. And then after that, any care can take place. I mean, I'm exaggerating to some extent, right. but from an architectural standpoint, it's those only those fixed elements. So that allows uh, the physician or the clinician on a busy day to take over more exam rooms to see more patients or just spend more time with patients. And on days that they're not so busy, it scales back and those rooms are used elsewhere. Um, and then your second point was about, you know, what can the staff do? Well, not so much what can the staff do, but what can architects do to support the staff in burnout? That's what you were asking, right? Right. Um, you know, space is power and you have to fight for what you want. And what happens if you are in a position to be asked to design a space? Don't assume that you're going to be given a space to a space of respite. Don't 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 assume that to begin with. So when you're asked to join that process, Start asking, what are you doing for us? Not the patient. Yes, we're all into patient-centered care, but I'm sorry, without the staff, there is no patient-centered care. So you have to start with asking, what are you going to be doing for us? And, you know, a typical answer would be, oh, you know, you're going to have a break room. It's going to have natural light. But... The next step in that design process tends to be an Excel spreadsheet, which is a budget or a space program. Nowhere on the space program or the budget are you going to see a back door. So that's another thing that clinicians need to be fighting for. And it doesn't show up in documents. So what you have to do as a clinician, and I'm just using back door as one example, what you have to do as a clinician is think about your day, the whole day in your life, walk yourself visually, mentally through, through your day and see what works for you and what doesn't. And then that's when you'll discover the things like the back door, or you'll discover, oh, you know, those two clinics 
never got along. One was orthopedic and the other was oncology. But you know what? When we propped that door open between those two clinics, God, the staff started helping each other. You know, so it's those things. I love your phrase that space is power. And I I can't underscore that enough. Uh, and, and that can make or break relationships, uh, productivity, well-being, you know, the metrics of burnout. And I remember the back door being critical as well. I remember working in a clinic where there wasn't a back door. So you entered in through the waiting room. And there's something about that that I don't mind seeing patients, but you want to have physicians to get that ability to decompress and have a, a silent way to enter work in the way that feels ritualistic to them, whether it's hanging your coat on a certain knob and just really breathing in and getting ready to start your day rather than already putting your face on and making sure you're saying hi to everybody in the waiting room. I mean, that back door is so important. But you also mentioned how space can shape relationships. And another issue I see with a lot of new construction is um, multiple touchdown, I think they call it a ICT, which is like some kind of a touchdown space where physicians don't have offices anymore. They share a computer screen next to a nurse and there's just this general like noise issue. And and a lot of physicians have said that makes them concerned about HIPAA and privacy and talking and, and security. When we live in America with unfortunate gun control laws that are not there, um, what kind of things are on the docket for maybe revamping healthcare in that future? Has anybody else voiced concerns? Absolutely. Uh, and I'll go back to the C word, COVID. So prior to COVID, and again, this relates to um, overdoing lean, prior to COVID, physicians in particular were being pressured to let go of their private enclosed office and maybe even share an office. And then it went to the full onboard level of completely open workspace. And while part of that concept of the open workspace has some benefits in terms of, oh, physicians can all be together in a space and share knowledge and overhear things, COVID pushed us back into that digital world and that literal need of acoustics to be quiet, to focus on a computer and a phone conversation. So um, I've seen one client uh, design a typical exam room, but instead of having one door and you enter in and out, for some clients, they'll have two doors and that second door is only to the physician or clinician open workspace. But what this one client did, they took that two-door exam room concept and literally split it down the middle with a wall. And that became two private offices for physicians to do that one-on-one -on -one digital connection that we're still doing in healthcare, even though COVID is no longer rampant throughout the world. And that one wall can come down over a weekend and then it comes back to an exam room. So that's um that's another creative aspect that, that I is look to. That is very creative. What I love most about your analyzing of the situation is you're really wrapping this all around 
the the pandemic, which could be viewed as a gift, is is what I'm reading between your words. Is you've really talked about putting our oxygen mask on first, right? Looking yeah. at how we can use space to revitalize us, but also being nimble and flexible. You know, you talk about exam rooms can be multi-purpose, and that might help with the capacity as we see healthcare's you know systems bloat in in staff and then have leaner times. Um, and you know, just that idea of putting a wall in an exam room is a great idea to be innovative and adapt to our digital age because I I hope that telemedicine isn't going to go away because I think it's very convenient for a lot of people that are stranded and may not be able to make the drive to see that physician and it can really help with accessibility of healthcare. Hey, have you visited the Catalyst Way yet? It's an online hub designed just for you, where we spark your creativity, passion, and flow to build your own self-expressive medical career. There's so much to explore inside the Catalyst Way. If you're a functional medicine practitioner, check out our Catalyst Studio Mentorship, your gateway to membership micropractice, with everything you need to grow and scale your functional medicine business, including private mentor sessions, masterminds, access to quarterly legal lounges, and much more. Or peek inside the world's first digital subscription delivery box service that delivers monthly content to make your functional medicine clinic run effortlessly, including customizable infographics, SOPs, templates, and hand-selected mastermind recordings. Or maybe you just want some entertaining and useful CME. You'll find that at the Catalyst Reclamation CME online course. You'll learn neuroscience behind burnout, embrace flow, master your calendar, fortify boundaries, and transform your burnout into boundless energy and joy using our three-step AHA method. It's approved for 10 hours of AMA Category 1 CME. Use the code PODCAST for 10% off. And because I'm a practical mom of three, guess what? The Catalyst Way also has tons of freebie content too. My favorite is the Catalyst Compass Quiz, which matches you to an ideal jumpstart strategy to find your spark. But I also love the free Catalyst Calendar Time Management System and Functional Micropractice Checklist. It's all here at the Catalyst Way. Visit drlarasalier.com forward slash catalyst to start coloring outside the lines. We're creating empowered, self-expressive clinicians as catalysts who lead healthcare transformation. Are you a catalyst? Visit drlarasalier.com forward slash catalyst now. You've said before, you know, less bad is not more good. Can you tell me more about that statement? Oh, gosh. So um, half of my colleagues would, um, they honor lean. And by lean, there are two aspects in architecture. Lean operations, how uh, you as a clinician go about your day. And then there's lean construction. Let's get all the materials on site. So when I'm talking about lean, I'm talking about the first, lean operations. And it's like anything else. It can just be taken too far. So, and again, I'm... I'm I'm sorry that um, I apologize for keep coming back to COVID, but COVID again taught us that if you've taken lean to such an extent that you've got the number of rooms based on the number of staff, it's going to hurt you on that day, that month, or that year when you don't have the staff 
and you need to expand the space. And lean can take lean can eradicate that that future flexibility and that future expansion. That's the best example that I can think of. Yeah, brilliant. And I see that you're viewing COVID, the pandemic, as somewhat of a gift. I think we were in this one-track way of designing healthcare spaces, and it's it's made us take a few steps back to really concentrate on advocating for our well-being and helping physicians. Now, I have my own fantasy list, Sharon, I will have to admit, when I think of designing my own space, and I basically did that here. I, I went ahead and just opened up my own office and And for those that are listening, you can't see, but in my waiting room, I don't even call it a waiting room because people don't wait. I'm lucky. It's just me. So they just come right in. And it's a museum of art. It's lots of anatomical art and just beautiful colors and designing my own space that feels like me. And I think that's what every physician secretly wants is they want their workspace to feel like a second version of home to them. And I remember back in the day, 15 years ago, moving into my my space when I was an employed physician and I put my favorite artwork on the walls and I I couldn't do much because it was it was an exam room, but I was able to express little bits of my personality. And I remember as those were taken down, as they started to have more of a, a branding, you know, you have to have branded things, you have to have things sterile. And Jayco came down and said, no more posters and all these things. So my oh. my my own self-expression was like withering. And for me, that felt like a mini death, right? But I know a lot of physicians are finding new ways to express themselves, whether it's with the words they say, the clothes they wear, the hair color they they keep. But what would you say would be fun ways that you could encourage our listeners to express themselves, whether it's in their clinical space or their home space? Do you have any other advice for those physicians? Oh my goodness, Laura, what you're describing is something you may be aware of, the nesting instinct. That's what you were referencing. And do you know there's research that a patient in a hospital room, once assigned, they will nest within one hour. And what that means is they rearrange that side table or they, you know, they get the little pool court, you know, they're, they're, They're customizing that space to them. And another um, is just your story was so, so spot on. As a matter of fact, uh, the University of California at Davis was trying to um, maximize space for faculty and physicians. And one of the directors of a clinic pointed out, her prior work at the University of Utah, no physician had a private office, but every physician had a private office. And the way they did it at the University of Utah was in that morning when that specialist was coming in for Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, or whatever it was, the director of that clinic pulled out that particular physician's pedestal their plaques, their family photos, and they arrange, they they stage this office for that physician. And yes, Laura, those physicians felt so at home and comfortable enough to then listen to what was going on, you know, with the patient. So, wow, I, wow, I would wish that for anyone. But you know what, that is a, that is a, that's also an operational cost because you're paying for this person to rearrange space and store it somewhere. Although we are seeing that uh, in other industries. 
But if you can't do that, um, color your lab coat. Who says they have to be white? <laughs> I love that. Yes, tie-dye. <laughs> or cut out a little cartoon that just tickles your fancy. And you know what? Put it near the floor or put it above the door frame. Hide it somewhere in the room and let the patient discover it as a surprise while they're wasting time waiting. <laughs> oh my goodness, Sharon, I love this. You're reminding me you've unlocked a very core memory of my childhood, a favorite pediatrician that I would go to. Oh, had, yes. had exam rooms and they all had different themes, Sharon. One had toy soldiers on the wall, one was a jungle animal theme, but they had tiny little, like somebody took a Sharpie and yeah. altered one of the little photos. And so it would be neat for me to look at the wallpaper and find the one animal that had glasses or the one that was, you know, uh, drinking yes. something. And and that's, you know, such an important part is bringing that humanity back to a space like this and making it fun. And I like your idea of customizing your space and heads up to those doctors who might still be employed. You can <laughs> laminate these little cartoons, you know, laminate them, have them in your bag, put them up on a wall, change it up for the season. I can imagine this would be really interesting for patients to to learn more about you. And that's where you can put your personality is laminate those, put it on a command strip and take it down when you're done. Who says you can't do that? I think that's the nesting that we all need is to express our own uniqueness. And we do it, like you said, for children. We don't do it for adults. We need distractions and we need to have discoveries and, and laughter, oh my gosh. Quote unquote, yes, is the best yes. It, it is. It is a vital sign. I mean, the sixth vital sign is creativity. That's what that's the hill I will die on is we've been concentrating on the fifth vital sign of pain for so long. And we're now surprised that we have just epidemic depression and opioid problems because we've been asking people, where does it hurt? Where does it hurt? Where does it hurt? But we've not asked them what lights you up. What is that yeah. sixth vital sign that makes you play? That What's the hobby that you can't wait to dust off the shelf? And to be honest, I bet if we asked a lot of our patients, they would just look at us blankly and think, ooh, I haven't played in a while. But we yes. need to invite that conversation. We need to invite it for our doctors to say, how can you make your day playful in your exam room? How can you add color and, and make it your own nest? I love that you taught me about nesting. I had no idea that patients will do this within the first hour. And it makes sense. I think we all do. Yes, yes. Oh, my goodness. Well, I've learned from you, Laura. I never heard about the fifth or sixth vital sign. That's well, fabulous. now you'll think about it when you go to your doctor yes. next time and they, they take your temperature, your pulse, your respiratory rate. They're always going to ask you to point to the face on the pain scale and tell you where it hurts. And that's the fifth vital sign that was introduced 20 years ago, over 20 years ago. And so my mission is to teach people to go one step further. And what's your sixth vital sign? And, you know, how do you play? So let me ask you this, Sharon, what is one of your favorite ways to play? Oh my gosh, I'm a total couch potato. Are you kidding? <laughs> There's still play in that, I'm sure. <laughs> no, I, I, I enjoy yoga if we're talking exercise. And I don't know, for play, I like making things, you know, just making um, making 100 birthday cards for someone to enjoy on their first birthday all the way to their 100th. Ooh, Sharon, that's an amazing idea. I love that. I did that for my daughter's daughter when she was born, and each card has a question. The problem was... 
I did that. I created those 100 cards when I was about 35 years old, and I didn't know what a 75-year-old would be asking of. <laughs> wow, I love this. You could even do this for yourself, right? I could see people having this be a nice self-activity to ask yourself a question. That's a beautiful gift. And I love that you like making things. You know, studies show that when we teach and invite, give permission to medical students, and we have them just to create something with their hands, whether it's sculpting or doodling or drawing, they increase their well-being. They decrease metrics of burnout, their cortisol lowers, and it can last for long after that activity is done. And so it's just some of those inherent things that make us human. And as we co-create a better healthcare system, I'm so glad we have architects and experts like you on board. I'm so thankful for our conversation. Is there any other lasting little tidbits you'd like to give our audience? Everyone is creative. They just need to find that venue of creativity that's natural within them. It might be doing, it might be thinking, it might be work around, it might be making. Everyone is creative. Beautiful. I'm just going to let that dead air hang there because that is a powerful statement. Thank you, Sharon, so much for spending your time. This has been delightful, and I'm so excited to see where healthcare goes, especially in spaces, and so grateful for you to share your creativity with us today. For all of us listening, you can find Sharon on LinkedIn. Um, is there any other spaces that you can be seen, Sharon Woodworth? Uh, well, within LinkedIn, you can uh, click on my contact info, and there's a Wix page for my portfolio of past work. And you can always find me either at UCSF or at Harley Ellis Devereaux. That's beautiful. I'll make sure all of these contact places are in our show notes. And thanks again for listening. Please like and subscribe. Share this with a colleague. Get inspired. Practice that sixth vital sign of creativity and keep coloring outside the lines. Have oh, a great day. You too, Laura. <laughs> nice to meet you. Thank you so much. Bye.